All right. Well, glad you're here. We're going to get through uh, chapter 11 today. I'm going to put this away here real quick. Um, uh, and I have to back up to a few verses that we covered last week so that we can get a running start, especially for those of you that weren't here and didn't get to listen. But you have to think about uh, what the le- he, Paul's written this letter to the church at Rome. And you have to think about what his audience is. His audience is both Roman Christians, those that have believed that Jesus is the Messiah, but also there are some Jewish Christians that he's writing to as well. Typically, the Jews don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah, but some have come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, and those are the Christian Jews, all right? Just to to clarify. So, when he's talking to them and what he's signaling here is there's a mixed audience and so this argument that we're making here in Romans 11 is probably more directed to the Roman Gentile Christians I'm back up to Romans chapter 11 verse 12 it says now if their transgression brings riches for the world and their failure riches for the Gentiles How much more will their fullness bring? You have to ask the question, first of all, well, whose transgression is he talking about? And as we have said, all the way back from Romans chapter 9, chapter 10, and the first part of 11, the transgression that we're talking about is the Jews who did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. That's the transgression. Like, Jesus died on the cross... And he died for all sins, except for one. Like, everything that you've done has already been paid for. The only thing that Jesus didn't die for was the sin of unbelief. That was it. You either believe that Jesus was the Messiah or you don't. If you believe that he's the Messiah, all your sins are taken care of. It's... it's that's the deal. And so he's literally said, now their transgression bring riches for the world. Well, what does that mean? Israel, not believing that Jesus was the Messiah, then they had to go to the next group of people. If you're not going to accept this message, we're going to take it to the Gentiles. And they get to experience the riches of the world because you have rejected it. Now, we can go back through the Old Testament and we can see This is the pattern that happened all the time, that the Jews believed in God. Then all of a sudden they were sinning. They had to, like, repent of their sins, and they had to go get atonement for their sins, which was the covering of their sins. Then God brought them back, and that cycle was repeated. But now that Jesus has come, and that the Messiah has actually come, they're totally rejecting him. And you think about what Paul's experience through Acts, as we've gone through Acts, what, is he's done, what has he done as he went to each region? He went to the synagogue first, right? He went to the synagogue first, and he taught Jesus to the Jews at the synagogue. They rejected him, most of them, the majority have rejected him. So then he left. And he went to the Gentiles and he began teaching that message. Jesus is the Messiah to the Gentiles and they began to believe. 
This was the pattern that happened over and over and over as he went from town to town to town establishing churches. It says, uh, how much more will their fullness bring? There's a cycle here that Paul is teaching. That's why I backed up to verse 12. That it was offered to the Jews, they rejected it, the Gentiles received it, but eventually the Jews will receive it. How much more will their fullness bring? It leads us to believe that all of Israel will eventually believe. Now, I get that's prophecy for some. For some, we'll say it's already occurred. That's another whole can of worms that we would open up here. Verse 13 says this, Now, I'm speaking to you Gentiles. He's just calls it out. Insofar as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. If I might somehow make my own people jealous and save some of them, for if the rejection brings reconciliation to the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? He's literally just repeated what he said in verse 12, that the Jews rejected what I've taught and the Gentiles believed. And then he says at the very end, their acceptance mean but life from the dead. Again, he's saying all Israel will eventually believe. He's repeated himself twice now. Verse 16, it says, Now if the first fruits are holy, so is the whole batch. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. We talked a little bit about that last week. Now let's get into the new part, verse 17. Verse 17 says, Now if some of the branches were broken off, which branches would that be? That would be the Jews who were rooted in the soil of all the promises of the patriarchs. If some of the branches of the trees were broken off, and you, who is he writing to? He says, he says back here, I'm writing to you, the Gentiles. And you, the Gentiles, you who weren't made these promises like the Jews were, Though a wild olive branch were grafted in among them and have come to share in the rich root of the cultivated olive tree, do not boast that you are better than those branches. But if you do boast, you do not sustain the root, but the root sustains you. He's saying this, and I would say this to you in this room right here. It's not so much the attitude of, I'm wonderful because the scripture says that you are wonderfully made. And because you've been redeemed, you've been made holy, you've been forgiven, you are wonderful. Like, you're sitting in a room full of wonderfulness right here. Because if you believe that Jesus is the Messiah, you've been redeemed. You're sitting amongst it. Versus him saying, uh, Paul's really complaining about him. He's like, I don't want you to say I'm more wonderful than you. We, we'll say this. I, I say this. I'll take, take credit for it. Is I, I think what we teach in here is different than the majority of churches teach. Like, we'll teach you that Jesus died how many times? Once. 
So when Jesus died once, he died for all sin for all time, and I live in a state of forgiveness. I'm forgiven. Everything that I've done, doing, going to do is forgiven. Whereas where I grew up and what I learned was that I continually had to ask for forgiveness. I'm not saying that I'm better than them. I'm just saying I've come to the understanding that's different, a different mindset, a different perspective. And I can enjoy the gift. I can enjoy the gift that I've been given that I've been made wonderful, that I've been made whole, that I have been redeemed. I can walk in that rather than I'm a lowly, no good, rotten sinner who has to kneel beside his bed every night and ask for forgiveness. I mean, there's a, there's a big difference there. And, and so Paul's literally saying to them, even though now the message has come to you, it's come to you, the Gentiles, instead of the Jews, you can't hold this over them and say that you're better than them. You can say that you're wonderful, but think about what you're doing because I'm still trying to reach my brothers. I'm still trying to get this message to them that Jesus is for real and he's the Messiah. Verse 19, it says, Then you will say branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. True enough, they were broken off because of unbelief. But you stand by faith. What was the one sin? Because they didn't believe, they were broken off from the tree. But you stand by faith and you're grafted in. Do not be arrogant, but be aware. Because if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Therefore, consider God's kindness and severity. Severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness towards you. If you remain in his kindness, otherwise you too will be cut off. You've got to hear this and see this right now. Like they have gotten the message, the Gentiles, that Jesus is the Messiah. And how did they get it? They got it because of God's kindness. You go back to Romans chapter 2 and it says, God leads you to repentance through his what? Through his kindness. His kindness. It says, okay, if you don't do this, you too will be cut off. When Paul is talking here, that, if you read that, that makes it sound like, well, if I'm not a kind person, then I'm going to lose my salvation. Right? That's the way that you can read that. But Paul never was talking about an individual here. When he's talking about the branches being broken off, he's literally talking about the Jews as a whole. And then the other branches that were grafted in were the Gentiles as a whole. He never was talking about individuals because we know that some Jews did come to believe that Jesus was the Messiah. So it wasn't about individuals. It was about the group. He's always speaking in reference to a generation of Jews and Gentiles when he's talking here. But watch this. He says, your kindness or your lack of could impact generations to come. Like, if you don't, if you don't experience the same kindness that was given to you and deal it out the way God intended for it to be, it could cause people to not want to have what you have. 
Like, if you're condemning, if you're judgmental, if you're all these things that everybody detests about the church, you could cause people to like, I don't want a part of that. But you go back to the fact that, hey, God brought you to faith through his kindness. He loves you. The people in this room have come to know their faith most likely because people were kind to them. The, the biggest ministry that we do right here at Leavener is wait for crisis to happen. And when crisis happens, we can sit at the table and we can share the kindness of God with them. It's the best. It's the best evangelism tool there is because I guarantee you everybody's going through crisis. At, you may not have yet, but at some point, you're going to go through crisis and suffering. Jesus says you will suffer. Even though you have the Spirit, even though that you have life, you're going to suffer. You're going to go through crisis. And man, when I go through crisis, I want somebody sitting at the table with me that's going to love me through it. Someone that's going to show me kindness, not somebody that's going to condemn me, point me out, put me in a corner. That's what I want. And literally, he's like saying... If you don't show kindness, that, that whole generation could be cut off because it's not what God intended. Verse 23, it says, And even they, if they do not remain in unbelief, will be grafted in because God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut off from your native wild olive tree and against nature were grafted into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? Grafting a tree limb into a tree is totally unnatural. Sven showed me a tree the other day of, uh, that somebody actually attached the top of a tree to a bottom of a tree, and it worked. It actually, like, it was grafted in. But I want to show you a tree that I experienced in 2012 with Micah and Corey, and later on 2018 with a whole group of you, and hopefully in October with another group of you. But this is in the Garden of Gethsemane. The Garden of Gethsemane was on the Mount of Olives, which is just outside of uh, the, the Temple Mount. It's west of the Temple Mount. The Garden of Gethsemane is where Jesus went the night before he was crucified, and he sat with his disciples and he said, stay up with me and pray. And then he began to sweat drops of blood. That This tree is in that same garden. This is an olive tree that was there during the time of Jesus. That's how old that tree is. Now, let me show you some interesting things about that tree. There's a farmer that helps cultivate that tree. That tree's responsibility is what? To produce olives, to produce fruit. Not related to this story, but when he talks about uh, cutting off branches in John, Really what they were saying there is that they lifted the branches. The farmer lifted the branches 
so it could actually produce fruit. If you look at the bottom right of that picture there, you'll see a stack of rocks that is actually propped up under one of the limbs of the olive tree. The farmer came along, obviously, hundreds of years ago and propped up that, that branch of the tree so that it would produce fruit. Pretty crazy, huh? Like, you, this is totally opposite of where we are in the scripture, but it says if you don't produce fruit, then you get cut off and burnt. Well, the, the truth of the matter is the farmer lifted the branch up so that you could produce fruit, and I believe that's what God does in our life. He lifts us up so that we the fruit can be produced. We don't produce the fruit, right? He produces the fruit through us. That's the fruit of the Spirit. Now, look on the left side of that tree. If you notice on the left side of the tree, I can show you up here, but you, you can see up there. Look at this totally new branch. And if you look right here, it's like attached to this 2,000-year-old tree. What did they do? They took a new branch and they grafted it into the old tree because it wasn't producing fruit. Hello? This is the story that we're reading right here. The, the Jews, who were the chosen ones, God's church, that the message was supposed to come through, the Messiah was supposed to come through, couldn't believe in the Messiah, and it wasn't producing fruit. So what did they have to do? He didn't give the message to the Jews anymore. He brought it to the Gentiles, and he grafted the Gentiles into the same tree. It, it's right there in the garden. This story is right there. Paul's like saying it happens all the time. It's totally unnatural But that's what God is able to do. So watch. If the Jews represent the olive tree, Jesus comes along and he's the Messiah. They don't believe it. It stops producing fruit. Paul takes the message to the Gentiles. They believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Then he's grafted these branches of the Gentiles into this old tree that wasn't producing fruit. What's to say that God can't do that again with the Jews in the future? This is literally what Paul is saying here. He's like, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? If God can do that with the Gentiles, surely he can do that with the Jews in the future. Verse 25 says, I don't want you to be ignorant of this mystery. Well, the mystery, I could go so many different places with the mystery. The mystery, I believe, is that the Gentiles and the Jews, they become one. I mean, that, that was the impossibility back then that the Jews never could see. I, I don't want anything to do with the Gentiles. But Jesus pretty much said, you're one. I, I, you're one in Christ. He says, I don't want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters, so that you will not be conceited. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. A partial hardening. We've talked about this hardening for the last three weeks. Did God harden Pharaoh's heart? Did God harden the hearts of the Jews? 
we've already determined that that hardening came because he strengthened what they had already determined in their own heads. Like, they made up their mind. And so God's like, if you've made up your mind, this is the way it's going to be. They chose to reject Jesus as the Messiah. So now this, he says this partial hardening, like it's not permanent. It's not permanent. It's occurring right now, but it could be temporary. Verse 26, and it says, And in this way, some translations will say then, but it's really translated, In this way, all Israel will be saved as it is written. Oh, man. You can get, this is, Matt, this is where we get into the whole theological uh, discussion. Is it about theology or is it about knowing God's heart? If you took that statement right there, all Israel will be saved. You can interpret it many different ways. One, all Israelites from every age. Two, all the elect of Israel of all time. Three, all Israelites alive at the end of the age, at the end of times. Four, Israel as a whole alive at the end of the age, but not including every individual Israelite. Five, a large number of Israelites at the end of the age. Six, Israel redefined to include all Jews and Gentiles who believe in Christ Jesus. You just took one little statement right there and you made it sound six different ways. Do we really do we really know? Is Paul talking about a one step in the process when Jews are included in the kingdom again? Or is all of Israel saved a way of summarizing the entire process from the beginning to the end? If you go back, Paul was a person who, who had the Old Testament really memorized. He would obviously refer back to the Old Testament passages. But you go back to all Israel will be saved and it was a phrase that occurred almost 60 times in the Old Testament. Like he literally referred to all Israel saved as an Old Testament reference. Maybe meaning every single Israelite who was like say alive at that time. Let me break it down this way, more of a, a rel- relative to you, because we do this, we speak in generalizations all the time, but all Israel is a phrase that almost always has some kind of representative significance to it. It talks about a significant or representative number of Jews, but not a single Jew. Uh, the language is similar to the way we use in our language today. One might say, for instance, the whole city was talking about the books available to the students. Oh, yeah, we're bringing it right here to our own community. Did you, but did you hear what I said? The whole city was talking about the books available to the students. To the students. When in fact we mean, well, a significant number of people in the city Maybe not even a majority of the people in the city. But you throw out, the whole city's talking about it. The whole city's talking about the board meeting. 
no, the whole city's not talking about the board meeting, but we think it is. <laughs> Maybe we want it to be. You hear what I'm saying? How did Paul deliver? Many of the people in the city may not have even heard of the issue. And Paul uses all Israel in the same sense, I believe. And then he, quote, he starts quoting Old Testament passages, specific passages. He says, the deliverer, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will, return, he will turn godlessness away from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them. Now, that specific passage right there was taken out of Isaiah chapter 59, verses 20 through 21. Now, watch this. This is, this is interesting here. Because Paul is quoting Isaiah, but he kind of twisted it. Isaiah says this, The Redeemer will come to Zion and to those in Jacob who turn from transgression. This is the Lord's declaration. As for me, this is my covenant with him, says the Lord. My spirit who is on you and my words that I have put in your mouth will not depart from your mouth or from the mouths of your children or from the mouths of your children's children from now on and forever, says the Lord. Watch this. What Paul said, the deliverer will come from Zion. What Isaiah said, the redeemer will come to Zion. Oh, Paul just kind of twisted that. But in the Old Testament, what did Jesus do? He came to Jerusalem. The message came to the Jews. They rejected it. The Gentiles got it, and it went from Zion. It went out. You see what Paul did? He took the Old Testament passage and he says, this is what it said, but this is what has happened. And the last thing he quotes there is Jeremiah 31. He says, when I take away their sins. When I take away their sins. Jeremiah 31 says this. Look, the days are coming. This is the Lord's declaration. When I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. This one will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors on the day I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, even though I am their master, and the Lord's declaration. Instead, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days. The Lord's declaration. I will put my teaching within them and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will one teach his neighbor or his brother saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me. From the least to the greatest of them. This is the Lord's declaration. For I will forgive their iniquity and never again remember their sin. He's literally right there at this point talking about the new covenant. When Jesus comes in, dies once and forgives sin. This will be available to the Jews. Now, some this is so weird because some theologians believe in a bicovenantalism. In other words, the Gentiles are saved by faith in Jesus, but somehow the Jews are still saved by the promises made in the Torah. I'm not there. I'm not there because Paul's pretty much said in Romans 9, 10, 11, we all come to Jesus through faith. We all receive salvation through faith. There's no question that that's what we've been talking about for the last three or four weeks. 
Uh, here, Paul is talking about the issue of salvation, spiritual matters. And I think Paul always views salvation as taking place in Christ and in the terms of the Christian church. He's literally talking about spiritual salvation. So this salvation of all Israel in the last days, it seems to me it will be taking place in their faith in Christ, not based upon the law or the Torah. Verse 28, it says, Regarding the gospel, they are enemies for your advantage, but regarding election, they are loved because of the patriarchs. Since God's gracious gifts and calling are irrevocable. As you once disobeyed God, but now have received mercy through their disobedience. So they too have now disobeyed, resulting in mercy to you, so that they also may now receive mercy. For God has imprisoned all in disobedience, so that he may have mercy on all. What did he just say there? He basically said this, Look, you didn't have a chance. They had a chance through God's mercy. He's speaking to the Gentiles. The Jews had a chance through God's mercy. But they refused it. And because they refused it, that mercy came to you. You received the mercy of God. And someday that mercy will be returned to them as well. That they will have the opportunity. That way... The representatives from all peoples, Jewish and Gentiles, could have the opportunity for salvation. Yeah, there's a temporary partial hardening, but how long does that last? And then he ends the chapter. He ends this whole section, 9, 10, and 11. Thank you, Jesus. Uh, with a doxology, with uh, just a praise. He's praising the Lord for what he has presented to the Gentiles. He says, oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. You realize that wisdom comes from God. Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and untraceable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor? And who has ever given to God that he should be repaid? He literally quoted Isaiah chapter 40, verses 13 and 14 there. And he says, For from him, and through him, and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. He has shown God that God treats Jews and Gentiles alike. He's treated them always the same in the matters of sin and judgment. You go back to chapter 1, he talks about it. You go to chapter 3, he talks about it. He treated the Jews and the Gentiles the same. And he offers salvation freely to them, both with and without reference to the law. God does this on the sole basis of what he did for them through Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ came, he was crucified, his blood was poured out, he was buried, he rose again from the grave. 
He went to heaven and he sat at the right hand of the Father and he sent a spirit to live within his believers. He sent a spirit to live within his believers. If you're a believer, you have the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead living in your mortal bodies. Really? This is the mercy and the grace that my God has for us. That he's not only forgiven you, he's not only forgiven you forever, but he's redeemed you and made you whole, made you perfect. I said it, it says it in Hebrews, I can say it because it says it in Hebrews. He made you perfect in your soul and spirit. You're not perfect in your behavior. I get that. That, that That's coming. You're, it, he's working on that in you. In fact, you should even just quit trying. Amen. You should just quit trying and let him do it for you. Because that's the only way it's going to work. But you've been made perfect already. You're holy, redeemed, and righteous. The Jews had the same opportunity that we have. And they will. They, to this day, they can. It's not like they can't today. There are Jews that are coming and believing in Jesus. But yet it's still amazing how they reject him. Even when it's so evident, even in an olive tree, it's all right there. The same tree that Jesus probably like sat down under and prayed. It's crazy. My prayer is that you will know Jesus as he intended you to know him. That you are free, you're redeemed, and you're forgiven. Jesus, I trust in your word. I trust that, and as we uh, get through some difficult passages of scripture, that you would continue to reveal to us, continue to remind us what we have been given. I thank you for that. And so uh, I trust you. I trust you with your word. Thank you for those that are here today. We continue to pray for those that aren't here and they're uh, just going through health issues, that you would give them rest and healing. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.